0: you are listening to a Monash Christian Union Bible Talk. We encourage you to share this with friends and family, but ask that you do not edit it without the permission of the owners. This Bible Talk is designed to supplement belonging to a local church with its teaching and community, not to replace it. We pray this talk helps you love Jesus and become more like Him. Uh, you'll find an extensive outline uh, in your books. With God, in Christ, enjoying Him while we wait. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, uh, the Father who loves, We thank you for the things you've shown us uh, that we already have in Christ. And that we can now already enjoy you, enjoy your son, enjoy your spirit. We pray now, Father, as this last time together, that you would help us feel the tension and the longing for the very best uh, that is yet to come. We pray it for the glory of Jesus and in the power of the Spirit. Amen. Uh, at the stroke of midnight on New Year's Eve 1999, uh, yes, I know you weren't there, most of you. Uh, a single. Who was there? Okay, all, all right. At the stroke of midnight, New Year's Eve 1999, a single word uh, was ignited in fireworks across the Sydney Harbour Bridge. Uh, And so became, in Australia at least, the first written word of the new 2000 millennium. What was that word? It was the word eternity. And as it was broadcast on TV to over one billion homes around the world, questions began to be asked. Why that word? And even, uh, why that way? And the answer was because of a man named Arthur Stace. Uh, Who was he? Well, in the 1930s, in Sydney, Arthur Stace was an illiterate alcoholic who heard a sermon that changed his life. In fact, so much so, according to legend, on the day he heard the sermon, and the day he left the church... He walked up to the footprint, uh, to the footpath, and wrote that very word in that very way. And he didn't stop there. For more than 30 years, and some say at least a million times, Arthur Stace wrote that word all over Sydney for all to see. Why? Because from the day he heard that sermon, Arthur Stace knew it mattered that eternity is on the way. Arthur Stace knew it mattered that the best is yet to come. And that is a reality that should shape us now. A fundamental part of a genuine Christian hope is that the best is yet to come. And that that really should shape us now. For many in our world, of course, that sounds completely absurd. Uh, For them, eternity is not much more than a myth. Uh, For them, our world is a kind of closed, sealed system. Where nothing gets in and nothing gets out. Uh, Like John Lennon sang all those years before you were born, uh, imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us and above us only sky. And, and so you see, for them, if there's to the be a best, it must be now. It's your best life here. Your best life now. But the Bible-reading Christian knows different. The Bible-reading Christian knows better. They know for those in Christ, the best is yet to come. And so rather than expecting our best life now, the Bible reading Christian knows that now is a time of tension. A time on the one hand of war and on the other, peace. On the one hand of grief and on the other, joy. A time of life through death and power in weakness. And so Romans 5. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God. And yet 1 Peter 2. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Or 1 Peter 1, in all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief. Or 2 Corinthians 12, that is why for Christ's sake I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You see, for the Christian, now is a time of tension. And I wonder, have you felt it? Perhaps even just this week as we've been exploring this topic together. Or if not here, what about away from here? Has it been your experience that being a Christian is undoubtedly better? But also, so often, it's undoubtedly harder and have you wondered why why is it like this well it's because according to god you and i live in these last days in what some have called the now and not yet others have described as the overlap of the ages you see the old testament prophets promised and warned of a tremendous yet terrible day of the lord A day when God would finally come. All that's wrong would be finally right. And as you looked forward from back then, it seemed it would be a single day. But when you get to the New Testament, God makes clear that his plans to fulfill that Old Testament promise is not to be on a single day, but over an extended time. A time that's framed between the first and second comings of Christ. You see, it's as if from the Old Testament, as you looked down, you looked down a mountain range. That That's a mountain. <laughs> and all you could see from way back then, as you looked down the range, was a, was a single peak. A single moment. When all the promises of God would be fulfilled. But, but when you get to the New Testament... Well, then you realize that what you've been looking at is, is not one peak, but two. There, there was a, a second mountain behind the first. Two mountains with a gap in between. Where is that gap? That gap is where you and I live. Between the first and second comings of Christ. When he came in grace and will come in glory. Some compare it to the end of the Second World War. You might remember from your history class, because, no, I also wasn't around then, uh, World War II was effectively over on D-Day, June 6, 1944. That was the day the Allied forces invaded Normandy and, and effectively won the war. And yet, the war lingered on for another 11 months, Until V-Day, when all of the fighting finally ceased. That's where we live. Between D-Day and V-Day. Between that wonderful moment in his death and resurrection that Jesus won the war. And yet we still wait for the fighting to cease when he finally comes again. The battle is won. Jesus has won. And yet the war lingers on until he returns. And see, that's why some call it the overlap of the ages. Why? Well, it's because with the first coming of Christ, with his dying and rising again, with the gift of his spirit to us, the new age has broken in. The age of Christ is already here. And yet until Jesus comes again... The old age is allowed to go on. And that's where we live, in this overlap of the ages. It's a time where those who trust in Christ already have so very much. And yet it's also a time where those who trust in Christ wait for the best that's yet to come. And why do we say all this? Well it's because one of the places we feel that most and the one I think that drives the rest is what the Bible says about us with God. You see as we've already seen and Nathan's reminded us we were made to be with God. We are saved to be with God and we can now be with him in his son enjoying him, knowing him and yet there is still a not yet that pulls on the now there's still a with god that we don't yet have when it comes to us being with god the best is yet to come And one of the places we see that most clearly is in our reading from 2 corinthians you want to grab your bibles open up to 2 corinthians from chapter 4 verse 16 2 corinthians chapter 4 If you skim the verses fair from verse sixteen, you'll see the section begins with some of that tension of these last days. Do you see there as Paul describes he's outward wasting, but he's inner renewing. He's outward dying. He's inner living. As he struggles and strives and suffers for the gospel and yet daily becomes more like Christ. Then in verse 17, you see, Paul compares the troubles of now with that promised not yet. The glory he's promised, but which is not yet his. And then as we enter chapter 5, and if you see it there, and as Dom read it for us, it Paul speaks of his body as if it's a tent. Did you see? A kind of temporary home that he'll one day leave as he rises rises up to be with God. Not that he'll be without a physical body. I wonder if you could see that there. He speaks along those lines. But instead, he'll have a new and glorious resurrection body. And as he writes, I wonder, can you hear his longing for that day? And I wonder, do you share that longing with him for that day? Have a look from verse 4. Pick it up, verse 4. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. So what is mortal might be swallowed up with life. Or or down in verse 6, pick it up about halfway through, verse 6. As we're at home in the body, we're away from the Lord. For we live by faith, not by sight. We're confident, I say, and we prefer to be away from this body and at home with the Lord. In other words, Paul says, we long for the best that's still yet to come. He longs for this life that he'll have with God. I remember this particular time a few uh, years ago now where one of my girls, I think the only one I haven't mentioned so far, so it seems fair, that they all get mentioned, um, got really, really upset. And, And I can still remember, she was much smaller then, sitting on the front steps of our house and she was crying and sobbing her eyes out. And you know what she said? I don't want to be here anymore. Why did Jesus have to go? I want to go to heaven now. I can tell you, that's a pretty bittersweet moment for a Christian dad right there. And I wonder, have you ever felt like that? I don't want to be here anymore. I want to be with God now. And if your answer is yes, I want to say you've got a friend in Paul. That's how he feels too. Not that he's entirely away from God, of course. We've already seen that in the last few talks. And in fact, he says something similar there in verse 5. You see, end of verse 5. He has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what's to come. In other words, he's already given of himself, even while we wait for him. And yet we really do wait. This is really important we know this as we leave here and go out into the world. As those who trust in Christ. See, what can you expect in your relationship with God now? You can expect closeness and distance. Having and longing. Enjoying and waiting. And waiting for what? Well, for what we heard from that second reading from Revelation 21, as it was read, uh, Karen leant over to me and said, This is the second time we've had this reading, right? I said, Yes. She said, Good. Means I'm not going crazy. (laughs) Revelation 21, we see the end of our longing, don't we? The end of our waiting. When we will at last be completely with Him, Revelation 21, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God and he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. I don't know if it was like this for you growing up. Uh, by the end of every year in our family, our family packs up for the kind of 20-hour grandparent circuit into New South Wales and back. And kind of the, the car's opened up. And the kids are loaded in. And the snacks are loaded in. About as many electronic distractions that we can find are loaded in. And we drive, and we drive, and we drive, and we drive, and as much as the kind of are we there yet's multiply, the longer the trip goes on, the so does something else. Do you know what it is? It's the excitement. Anticipation. And I suppose grandma's uh, patented and delicious sausage rolls have something to do with it. And the uh, kind of jumping castle slash water slide at Grand and Gramps' place has something to do with it. But you know what? when at last we stop the car and the doors all fling open, and not always in that order, by the way, <laughs> it's not the sausage rolls our kids run to. It's not the jumping castle our kids cling to. What is it? It's grand and gramps. Grandma and granddad. Granddad. And see, here's the point. So it will be for us on the day that Jesus returns. So it will be for us with our God on the day that Jesus returns. It won't be the gifts that we run to or even the good that we cling to. It will be God himself. We will be with God and so the question we ask then is what now? how do we wait? What do we do while we wait? Well, in many ways that's what the whole New Testament's about, so you know go home read it. but for now, just two things, both from two Corinthians in the very next verses that follow the ones we read. First, we please him. Second, we persuade others. You've still got 2 Corinthians in front of you there. Chapter 5, verse 9. 2 Corinthians, chapter 5, verse 9. So we make it our goal to please him, whether at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one of us may receive what's due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. See, one of the great things when you read the Bible is when it doesn't say what it's supposed to say, or at least what you thought it should. And I know for me that always happens when the Bible speaks of Jesus' return or of us being with him. See, I don't know much about you, but what I think the Bible should say whenever it speaks of Jesus' return is then, Go! Quick, tell! Jesus is coming! Go tell the world! And in a moment, we'll hear him say something pretty close to that. But, but did you notice what he says first? Which, which is best I can tell the Bible almost always says when it speaks of Jesus' return or of us going to be with him. What does it say? Verse 9 again. So we make it our goal to please him, to be godly, be holy, love God. Others serve him in every decision at every moment because we're waiting to be with him. We ask ourselves, would this please him? When we're with that girl or with that guy or we're home alone or there in class, when we're gathered in church or anywhere else, No matter how much we desperately want to please others and find it so easy to please ourselves, we make it our goal, our ambition, our desire to please him. Why? Because we are waiting to be with him. So let me ask you, is that your goal? Is that how you make your daily decisions? Is that what you think before you do? How could it be even today? You see, first Paul says, we please him. And second, he goes on to say, we we persuade others. 2 Corinthians 5, pick it up now, verse 11. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We, We try to persuade others. And why? Jump down to verse 14. Verse 14. For Christ's love compels us. Because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Or further down in verse 19. See verse 19. God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ As God's co workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, In the time of my favour, I heard you. In the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, Paul says, now is the time of God's favour. Now is the day of salvation. And at some stage, that's what someone said to you, wasn't it? That's what someone did for you, wasn't it? They held out to you the message of life. Do you remember when? Do you remember who? Do you remember when, knowing the fear of the Lord, compelled by the love of Christ, someone, somewhere persuaded you that even you could be with God? And that's what we're to do. As we return to our campus and home, with kind of knocking knees, unless it's just me, unsure if we can, unless it's just me, we pray that God might even use us who are in Christ, enjoying him, to persuade others, to turn to him while we wait when I lived in uh, New South Wales uh, back in 2004, uh, they had a statewide gun amnesty. Uh, It didn't affect uh, me all that much. But anyway, they had a statewide gun amnesty. It was a time when people could hand over their banned guns uh, without any fear of going to jail. Uh, They could admit they were wrong, hand in their guns and know for sure that forgiveness was theirs, but, but it was only for a limited time. Deadline, June 2004. Anyone caught after that date would face the full force of the law. You see, in many ways, that's what it's like now, isn't it? While we wait to be with him, in his great love and mercy, now is the time that people everywhere can admit they were wrong. They can hand in their guns, they can know for sure that forgiveness is theirs. But it really is just for a limited time. It is only while we wait. After that, it will be too late. Reminds me in some other ways of those special deals you sometimes see come across your Facebook feed, the ones posted by your friends. Some amazing deal, just for a limited time. I've noticed in Christian circles often, though, it's just a free book download, uh, just for a limited time. You know, it's just, you know, exciting. But uh. <laughs> Why do your friends post it? Why do they tag you and just about everyone else they know in? I take it's because they want you to have what they also have. They want to make sure that you don't miss out. How much more would this? How much more should it be for us who know Christ are in him and and who are waiting to be with him? What did Paul say? I tell you, now is the time of God's favour. Now is the day of salvation. And so we pray. Even in our weakness, even in our fear, knowing we already are in Christ, we ask that he would use even us to please him and persuade others, perhaps in reading Uncover Mark, to turn to him while we wait for the really very best that is still yet to come when we, at last, will be completely and forever with Him. Thank you for listening to this Monash Christian Union Bible Talk. We long to see everyone at Monash University know a disciple-making disciple of Jesus Christ. If you have been blessed by this ministry and would love to support Monash Christian Union, you can do so via the link in the podcast description.